John Stewart thinks he made a really good point about drag queens and guns, but did he? Also, Hershey's has decided to use a man in their advertisements to celebrate Women's History Month. Also, my friend Bethany Mandel is here to talk about an incredible book that she co-wrote called Stolen Youth. And it's about how the indoctrination in our schools and the institutional capture that we see in all kinds of institutions in our country is preying upon the innocence of our kids. And she's got some really great tips to fight back. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. All right. Happy International Women's Day. Twitter alerted me that today was that day. Just a reminder that women have XX chromosomes. That's determined at the point of conception, and that cannot be changed. A woman is not putting on a wig. It's not wearing lipstick. It's not even getting fake breasts or getting any kind of reconstructive surgery. You can do all of those things, but unless you have female genetics, you will never be a female. These are immutable characteristics, and we should celebrate that. We should celebrate the unique differences between men and women, boys and girls. We should teach people to celebrate their gender, which is interchangeable with sex, by the way. These are not two separate entities in any kind of science scientific or realistic sense, rather than telling people that if they're a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit confused or a little bit distressed, that they should try to do the impossible, which is switch your gender. Genesis 127 for the Christian makes it very clear about what has turned into this culture war issue, that God created the male and female, and we are created in his image as male and female, and again, that cannot be changed, and in fact, to try to change that would not just be an assault on the human being as image bearers of God, but also an affront to God himself. Far be it from us to question his authority on how he made us. He knit us together perfectly, purposely, intricately in our mother's wombs, as we read in Psalm 139. So, Let us celebrate being women and all of the unique capabilities and capacities that we have. And also we can celebrate the uniqueness and wonderful characteristics of men. And we are necessary for for each other. We complement one another. Praise God for his creativity and his purposefulness and his mastery in creating the human body the way that he did. So happy International Women's Day to all of us. We've got a lot to talk about today. We've got, uh, along those lines, we've got to talk about some things having to do with gender, as we often do. We're going to react first to this uh, John Stewart clip that you've probably seen circulating. He had an exchange with a state rep or a state senator rather from Oklahoma, Nathan Dom. He is a Republican from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And for some reason, the state senator decided that it would be a good idea to go on an episode of The Problem with John Stewart. And they debated about gun law because being a Republican, Senator Dom has tried to loosen restrictions on gun ownership in the state of Oklahoma, as many Republicans do. 
And so they argued about gun control. And of course, Senator Dom talked about uh, being an advocate for the Second Amendment. And let's watch this clip that has gone viral on Twitter that a lot of uh, LGBTQ activists are saying is a huge win for gender ideology and just shows the hypocrisy of the right for criticizing things like drag shows. Here's that viral clip. You want to ban drag show readings to children. To my house, yes. Why? Why, why? What are you protecting? Why can we prohibit ch- children from voting, those under 18 from voting? Why are you banning, that? Is, is that free speech? Are you infringing on that performer's free speech? They can continue to exercise their free speech, just not in front of a child. Why? Because the government does have a responsibility to protect. I'm sorry? The government does have a responsibility uh-huh. in certain instances to What's protect children. What's the leading cause of death amongst children in this country? And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not drag show readings to children. Correct, yes. So what is it? I'm presuming you're going to say it's firearms. No, I'm not going to say it like it's an opinion. That's what it is. It's firearms. More than cancer, more than car accidents. And what you're telling me is you don't mind infringing free speech to protect children from this amorphous thing that you think of. But when it comes to children that have died, you don't give a flying to stop that because that shall not be infringed. That is hypocrisy at its highest order. All right. So there are a couple things to note here. Of course, I know that we want to know the question, is this true? Firearm-related deaths, according to several analyses by the CDC, is the leading cause of death. Now, we're talking about arguments. We're talking about accidental um Uh, firearm interactions or firearm accidents. We're talking about purposeful homicide, which is pretty rare. Um, This is, according to the CDC, a leading cause of death for children. Now, the CDC does say that children is defined by them. I'm not totally sure why, but starting at age one, starting at age one to age 18, because if you um, go down to infant. So if you go zero from 18, it's not actually the leading cause of death. There's congenital heart disease. There are different kinds of diseases that are actually the leading cause of death for children. I'm not saying necessarily that there is a nefarious reason that they de- that they define childhood that way. Maybe the reason that they're doing that is because those are infant-specific diseases that tend to cause infant fatalities. So they didn't think it was a very good picture of why children are dying in the United States. And so according to the CDC, John Stewart's assertion is mostly true. Now, it is still rare for that to happen, um, but that's because we have a pretty good childhood survival rate, thankfully, as we should in a first world country in the United States, but a leading cause of death, according to the CDC, about 60% of deaths of kids ages 1 to 18 is because of some kind of firearm incident, which, of course, I agree, is absolutely tragic. And if someone on the left can point us to, which maybe, you know, some have, but point us to the exact policy and the exact piece of legislation that would prevent these deaths, I think a lot of Republicans and conservatives would come to the table and also show how things like constitutional carry or um, being able to easily get your concealed carry license leads to or precipitates these deaths among young people because very often what is actually happening is that these firearm deaths are because someone has already broken the law. 
They've already broken the law. They have already uh, broken the law by murdering someone. They have already broken the law by uh, going in a place where a gun is not permitted or they illegally own a firearm. So it's hard to kind of imagine how another restriction would be an impediment to uh, lawbreakers killing uh, someone else. And so I agree, obviously, this is absolutely tragic. However, the real leading cause of death for children, if you are to extend it to really the beginning of adolescent life, which is the moment of conception, the leading cause of death is actually abortion. So if we're going to do this, if we're going to look at the importance of things based on how many people it kills, then let's talk about abortion. Abortion kills about a thousand children every day, or at least that's what was happening before the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And so abortion is killing thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people in this country, millions and millions of people around the world. And if you're unconvinced by that, if for some reason you think that babies in the womb aren't humans or aren't alive, please go back and listen to my million episodes breaking down just the illogic of the pro-choice or pro-abortion position. So really, he's wrong. He's wrong if you are looking at the actual scientific definition of adolescence, which starts at the moment of conception. Really, the leading cause of death in children is abortion. But also, if we are looking at the argumentation strategy here that is being employed by Jon Stewart, this is a fallacious way to engage in a kind of debate. So this is what you do when you know that you don't really have a good point. And when you're in the position of power, like he is obviously going to be rhetorically more savvy. He's done this for a living for a very long time. And so he knows that he is going to be able to manipulate the conversation. So this is what he does. Rather than talking about the drag queen issue, rather than answering, because I could tell that State Senator Rom was about to was trying to ask him this question, rather than answering the question, why do you think kids should have an audience or should be in the audience when a man scantily clad is twerking for them for money? Why do you think that's beneficial? Why do you think that should be legal? Why do you think that should be celebrated? Why shouldn't the government do something about that? And no, it has nothing to do with the First Amendment. We're not saying that drag queens can't be drag queens. We're not saying that drag queens can't talk or that they can't even perform for adults. But of course, there are restrictions on what you can show a child. That doesn't have to do with the First Amendment. And as we talked about yesterday, I do think that the state has a place to step in and say, no, these kinds of things, this kind of content is actually not appropriate for children. And it's got to be ages 21 or 18 and up. Sorry. And so John Stewart simply wasn't equipped to have that conversation of why he actually thinks it's a good thing for a man in fishnets and fake boobs to be twerking for a child, why he thinks that that is beneficial. Instead, he says, well, how many people have been killed by a drag queen? That's not really the argument, is it? That's not the argument that this state senator is making. That's not the argument that any of us are making. None of us are saying that drag queens are going around and killing these children or even necessarily that they are physically always preying upon these children. We're saying in the same way that it's wrong to show a child pornography in the same way that it is wrong or a similar way that it's wrong to bring a child to Hooters, that this should not be happening. This shouldn't be presented to young people. This shouldn't be presented to infants. This shouldn't be presented to toddlers. It is inappropriate. Yes, there is um, 
something innately sexual about a man dressing up like a caricature of a woman. Yes, there is. Don't gaslight us into thinking that there's none. There absolutely is. And beyond that, like I will just say it's inappropriate for a man to pretend to be a woman and to present that to kids. So that's not just perverse. It's also confusing. So if parents are going to continue to demand these kinds of shows, I do think that there is a place for states to say, you know what, we have to restrict these kinds of shows to venues that only allow people ages 21 and up to go there. I wish that we didn't even have to have this conversation. I wish that there wasn't a law necessary, but apparently there is. Apparently they can't, uh, they can't be content with just performing for adults. They also have to be performing for toddlers too, which is very disturbing in and of itself. So that's what John Stewart here uh, does here. It's a little bait and switch. He's not actually interested in having the conversation about drag queens. And so you see how he very quickly, very stealthily pivots to something else. And so it's not actually a way of having a conversation. It's not actually a way of arguing the substance of what the other person is saying because the state senator was making a point. Instead, he pivots to something else. And he said, well, because that thing isn't killing you, you shouldn't care about it. But again, that's not the reason that we care about these perverse drag shows that are being performed for kids. Just because something isn't killing you or harming you the same way something else is doesn't mean that we shouldn't care about it. It doesn't mean that we can't care about it. It's so funny because far leftists like Jon Stewart, they think that the government should step in to do anything and everything. I mean, they believe that the government should care about us so much that they should actually force us to get a vaccine that many of us did not want or even need. They believe that the government should force us to wear masks, should force us inside our homes for our own good. But when it comes to protecting the innocence of children, all of a sudden, that's just a step too far. All of a sudden, they're libertarians. Isn't that interesting? And by the way, there's not a constitutional right to perform drag in front of kids. There is a constitutional right to own a gun. There's a reason for that. Okay? And so I would love for Chuck Schumer, not for Chuck Schumer, the article I have up uh, has Chuck Schumer's name in it. I would love for Jon Stewart to actually debate someone who is willing to match his tenacity um, and also to call him out on his manipulation because that's what this clip was. This clip does nothing to prove that drag shows for children is good or beneficial or not psychologically and spiritually and emotionally and sexually harmful for kids. Those two things really don't have anything to do with each other. So, I mean, good job for getting the viral clip by using rhetorical manipulation, but you didn't do anything to actually defend the morality of drag shows for children. Um, so whenever you say things like this and whenever you think, oh, this is a victory for them, just start asking questions. You see people share this, ask questions. What, do you, what benefit do you think that kids get from seeing men in fake boobs twerking? Let me, let me know. I, I would love to know. No one would have said this even five years ago. People are people are absurd. All right, we've got another absurd story that I know that you've uh, you've heard people talk about, but I haven't had a chance to talk about it yet. And that is that a crazy 
Hershey's story. And so uh, we'll get into that in just a second. Let me let me pause and tell you about our next sponsor for the day. And that is Adele Natural Cosmetics. Okay, you guys are always asking me what makeup I use. And now when I come to the studio, I get my makeup done and it's a little bit different because I've got the lights and so you need some like heavy duty stuff. But in my everyday life, I really love the lightweight but full coverage uh, makeup from Adele Natural Cosmetics. I love it because it has all natural, all organic ingredients. I don't have to worry about fragrances or any of the fake stuff that is harming my skin, harming my endocrine system. Adele Natural Cosmetics really cares that they have top-notch natural ingredients. They make it all here in the United States. And it's not just their makeup that I love. It's also all of their skincare. So their oil cleanser, their moisturizer, their toner. I use all of it every day. And I love these people. They're Christians and they're pro-life. They have the same values that you and I do. And so we can feel really good about supporting them. Plus, if you use my uh, my promo code Allie, you get 25% off your first order. Go to AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Enter promo code Allie for 25% off your first order. AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Code Allie for 25% off your first order. Okay, I wasn't able to talk about this last week when it happened, so I just wanted to quickly touch on this ridiculous story of Hershey, of Hershey's, sorry, the, you know, who makes the chocolate and stuff, and they own a bunch of other candy brands as well. For Women's History Month and International Women's Day, which is March 8th, apparently, tomorrow. So they came out with the little punny candy bar, Hershey, Hershey. Get it? Like, not just her, she, but her, she, like the pronouns. And um, in 2022, they celebrated women for International Women's Day, like Billie Jean King, Katherine Johnson, Katherine Switzer, Gloria Steinem. I'm not saying I like all these people. Alicia Garza, co-founder of BLM. But at least all of these people were women, right? Like, at least, as far as we know, all of these People are actually women. But in 2023, they celebrated four actual women in their campaign for this and then a guy who calls himself a woman. So um, several people or several women who have done different things, activists, left-wing activists, but women. And then in their commercial, they also showed this person named Faye Johnstone, previously known as Zach Johnstone, and he calls himself a 2S LGBTQIA plus advocate. 2S stands for two-spirit, <laughs> whatever that is. And uh, so this guy is an advocate. And not too long ago, like within the past couple of years, he decided that he is going to be, uh, that he's going to be a woman. So he grew his hair out and I guess started taking hormones, but it's still very obviously a guy. And here is Hershey's ad celebrating him as a woman that we should uphold, lift up as some kind of women's rights hero. My name is Faye Johnstone. I'm the executive director of Wisdom to Action. We can create a world where everyone is able to live in public space as their honest and authentic selves. See the woman changing how we see the future at Hershey's Canada. So Matt Walsh posted a Twitter thread just showing this person's um, showing this person's history. In 2015, he called himself a cis male, which cisgender is a nonsensical term that doesn't actually mean anything. But 
it is it, it means like you are the gender that you actually are so you're born a woman you identify as a woman that's what they call cisgender and uh, remember these terms were created by perverse sexologists in the 60s and 70s that also happened and this is always a common thread who also happened to advocate for things like pedophilia so you can just reject the legitimacy of all of these terms but he talked about his own cis privilege spells privilege incorrectly in 2014 he was calling himself a gay boy and a queer boy in 2017 he decided that he was non-binary and 2017 he also called for militant organized queers to fight back against trump um in 2021 he was arguing that turfs called trans exclusionary radical feminists or you know just people who don't believe that men can be women uh shouldn't be allowed to speak or share their opinions in public and should be shut down in 2022 he argued that parents shouldn't have rights over their children he said fund dedicated supports for trans and gender diverse students in schools work with school boards to establish and implement best practices to ensure all students learn about accepting trans people parents do not have absolute rights over their children okay um another gentle reminder to the children's rights sector we need you to speak up for trans kids now more than ever now it is of course true that parents can't do absolutely anything that they want that children do and should have legal protections but he is talking about separating parents from their children because a parent doesn't believe that their little 12 year old daughter sally should be able to go on hormones and become jack with the help of her school and the state which happens in almost every single state, by the way. In 2023, this year, he argued that men who raped women and children but claimed to be women should be allowed in women's prisons. He went back and forth on Twitter. We'll put up these screenshots on YouTube. He went back with a reporter named Peter Tatchell, who is a left-wing reporter. Uh, this reporter actually apologized for misgendering uh, this person uh, who identifies as transgender. He was jailed with women because he said that he was a woman and he was in jail for raping for raping women. And Faye Johnstone, who is being elevated as a female heroine um, by Hershey's, is saying that he is hurt by this because, um, not because this person misgendered this prisoner, but actually because this journalist does not believe this male rapist should be in prison with women just because he identifies as a woman. Faye Johnstone said that uh, including trans women and LGBTI liberation means that men who identify as women, even if they're rapists, should be able to go into women's prison. So this apparently is the guy, the guy who believes that male rapists should be in prison with women who just transitioned so-called in the past couple of years after calling himself a cis queer boy for several years this is the person that we should be elevating to our daughters and pointing to and saying yes this is a great example i mean this is someone who hates women this is someone who knows nothing about femininity whatsoever who has had no female experiences, who has no had no female thoughts, has no female cell in his body. So basically, we're just telling women, all you have to do is grow your hair out and call yourself a woman, and that is what it means to be a female. That's what Hershey's is telling us. That's what we're supposed to teach our daughters? No. 
no, never. I'm never playing along with this lie. This is an this is a grift. I actually explained this very succinctly to someone who came after me on Instagram and who was like, why does this bother you? Why does this Hershey's campaign even affect your life? And I said, look, this person has been a man his whole life, has never had female experiences, and now is grifting, identifying as the opposite sex. And you call yourself a feminist? Is that a win for women's rights? No, I don't call myself a feminist, but because I don't identify with any of the ways of feminism and everything that they fought for, including abortion. But of course, I believe that women have the right to sex-exclusive spaces, sex-exclusive rights, sex-exclusive protections, sex-exclusive teams. And if you believe that, then you cannot go along with this lie that a man can become a woman. And this person, to her credit, who started off very fiery and kind of rude, all she said in response was, thank you for sending this. You know what? I appreciate that a lot. And I don't know if she agrees with me, but maybe she thought about it a little bit. And that's the most we can do. That's why these conversations matter. And yes, I believe that we should be really, really clear on them. Even if people tone police you, even if other evangelicals and Christians say that you're being mean, the truth is, I think that this Faye Johnstone person is made in the image of God, that God created him to be male at conception, that God sent his son to die for him just as much as he sent his son to die for me. I want this person to come to repentance, to accept who they are, to love the body, the identity that God gave them. Stop denying God's creation. Stop denying nature. And I want him to come to know Christ. Like, I don't want ill for this person. I don't want bad for him. I think this person is extremely valuable. Of course, has innate worth, innate value as an image bearer of God. And it is for that reason that I am so that I am so adamant about this, not just for him, but also for society as a whole. Because yes, accepting this idea that men can become women and boys can become girls is actually damaging, not just to the individual, but to society as a whole. It's always damaging to have to accept a lie. And then you talk about all of the different unfair things that go on in discriminating against women when it comes to favoring men who identify as women, as we just talked about. So Hershey's is playing along with the propaganda that is so harmful. And if things continue to go how they are going, I actually think that things are going very badly for gender ideology. I think it's really breaking down, especially when you start coming after children. They will be embarrassed one day. Hopefully, 10, 20 years, they'll look back and they will cringe at what they actually supported. Okay, if that segment sounded a little bit different, it's because, and obviously if you're watching on YouTube, it looked different. That's because I recorded it yesterday and I didn't have time to put it in yesterday's episode. So we put it in um, today's today's episode. I just had to make sure that you still, you still heard my take on that. All right, let's talk about our next sponsor. And that is Public SQ, which stands for Public Square. So we're always complaining about the crazy moral state of our country. We don't want to support all these companies that hate us, that oppose our values. They send our money to politicians and campaigns and organizations that are directly fighting against the things that we stand for. And so I know it's difficult to boycott all of these companies that might even be impossible, but we can do everything we can to support businesses and services that align with our values. That is exactly why Public Square, Public SQ exists. It's an app that you download on your phone by going to 
publicsq.com or you just go to your app store and you can download Public SQ all one word. You put in your zip code and you can see all the businesses that will pop up that believe in the principles that you do. So you can support a business that took a stand against COVID mandates or maybe even just one that buys from local farms, whatever you're looking for. You can also list your own business as well and people will be able to find you and support you. So go to publicsq.com. That's publicsq.com. Download the app today, create an account, begin your search, list your business for free, publicsq.com. All right, now we're going to talk to my friend Bethany Mandel. Bethany is a contributing writer for Deseret News and Ricochet. Um, She is a homeschooling mother of six children. She doesn't homeschool her youngest yet because he's brand new. But she is a homeschooling mom of six, and she is the co-author of Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating the Generation. And you are going to love, love this conversation. Bethany, thanks so much for joining us again. This time, we're talking about your new book with Carol, Stolen Youth. Tell us, just go ahead and tell us what this is about and why you guys wrote it. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for having me. So it's basically about the the woke assault on childhood. And we, we, t- we came at it from a lot of different angles. We wanted to sort of talk about... Um, the woke assault in education and classrooms, um, we, we broke it up into sections. And so there's uh, the woke assault on institutions, um, which is the chapters that I wrote that I, I personally found to be the most terrifying um, on medical uh, associations, medical schools, uh, pediatric associations. Uh, there's been a lot of books written about sort of the woke virus and the, how it's impacting, you know, uh, law, law and business and, mm-hmm. and all of those things are extremely important, but we wanted to tackle it from the early childhood perspective, because really the first time that you see any conversation about woke indoctrination, it's in colleges and on college campuses. And we wanted to tackle it from sort of the lower years. Um, and we also have uh, a lot of chapters in there about uh, the media and you know Disney and Scholastic. Um, and then sort of the, the end chapter is really about how all of these uh, sort of woke talking points and, and indoctrination, how that impacts uh, resiliency and innocence. Yeah. Uh, and that's really what it comes down to is that all of this is sort of aimed at stripping children of their resiliency and their innocence. Yeah, you know, we're kind of gaslit when it comes to this. When a parent has a problem with LGBTQ curriculum in first grade or their child going to Drag Queen Story Hour or just going into the library and seeing a book about trans kids, so-called or whatever, we're told that, wow, you're making that sexual. That has nothing to do with sexuality. Why are you being weird about it? And we're told, well, it's just about inclusion. What's wrong with this? And then I honestly think a lot of parents kind of are manipulated by that effectively. They're like, oh, well, maybe I am just being a bigot. Maybe I am being weird about it. Like, what do you say to that? What's what's the response of a parent who's like, well, I, I just don't, I don't know how to defend myself in those kind of situations. I don't know how to say why I don't want my kid learning about that kind of thing. And that's exactly sort of in their playbook. And so, you know, Drag Queen Story Hour is, is a perfect example because they are creating a situation in which you're bigot if you don't want your child to go to Drag Queen Story Hour or if you don't think that Drag Queen Story Hour is appropriate. And they've done it by sort of using a gay man uh, who dresses in drag in order to mm. 
make them unassailable. You cannot possibly object. But would you ever bring your child to stripper story hour? What makes it any different? It is not different, but the drag queen aspect of it makes it so that you're a bigot if you can possibly complain or are not comfortable with it. And it's this this sort of backdoor way that they're trying to emotionally make parents uncomfortable enough with the sexualization of their children by sort of scaring them into saying, well, if you're a bigot if you're not comfortable with it. Um, there was a, a great tweet by Blair White, who's a transgender adult who said, no one had any issue with drag shows until they brought in kids. No one had any issues with medical transition until they brought in kids. It's the kids that are the problem. And I, I think that a lot of us in the conservative movement, um, with very few exceptions, saw this coming, that sort of the lessons that we learned from the gay marriage fight, the that they would then sort of, we would be then made to care. That's like Eric Erickson's famous line, you will be made to care. And this was something that I saw and I was writing about at The Federalist, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. And I said, I am not comfortable with all the transgender crusade because we will be made to care. And how they're making us care is they're aiming all of this messaging towards our kids. Uh, and they're doing it, and we, we talk about it in Stolen Youth. We, they do it in the libraries, in all the books. Um, but it's also in the books that the librarians hand to our children. Mm -hmm. um, on, on TV, um, the, the examples are married, and, and the end result is that they're trying to indoctrinate our children because that's, that's the end goal here. You can't, yeah. you see it sort of in communist societies where they, they go for the kids. Yeah. And that's what they're doing here. This is the revolution. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people, they still just delude themselves into thinking, well, so what if your kid sees some library book or is taught about this in school? They're taught about, you know, straight couples in school or families like that. And I'm like, look, whether you think so or not, a lot of families think that and a lot of parents think that there is a moral question about sexuality and about the makeup of families and about marriage and about whether or not you can change genders. You might not agree with the morality that a family has, but it is a moral question. It is very complicated for families. It's a matter of identity. It is a matter of sexuality and private parts and things like that. Therefore, that should not be introduced to kids at school. That should be something that parents have the authority to first introduce to their kids. So yes, it does have something to do with taking away their innocence. I think some people don't see that connection, but it does. When you have a stranger in authority like a teacher telling a kid about switching their gender or even about a different makeup of a family, they are not then equipped to answer all of the moral and scientific questions that that kid then has. That's what worries me is taking away the authority of the parents, the opportunity from the parents to be the first ones to talk to their kids about that kind of thing. And then allowing strangers in the school system to do it, who not only aren't equipped to do it, they also don't love your child the way that you do. It's dangerous. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, they think ultimately that our children belong to them and they belong yeah. to the collective. And so they have to educate this because, you know, it won't happen in our houses because we're all bigots. Yeah. Um, and so they try to take over. But a lot of my concern with all of these issues is also that we're training children that, and this is happening in school districts across the country, even in red areas, um, that they can talk about sexual and sexuality, sexual topics and sexuality with adults, and that they should do this behind their parents' backs. And mm -hmm. this is something that we've seen time and time again. And there's a name for this. And I know that it's become sort of an insult 
that has been lobbed around, I think, way too, way too easily. But it is literally the definition of grooming. And in Soul and Youth, I, I write like, this is the definition of grooming. And talking to a child about sexuality mm-hmm. is inherently dangerous. And they're sort of developing minds to teach them that, yes, you can keep secrets from your parents about sexuality. All of these things are happening behind your parents' backs and and we know better than your parents. That leads to tragedy. And, you know, outside of any ideological sort of indoctrination that parents ha- or have concerns over, which, I mean, obviously I find very valid because I wrote an entire book about it. But outside of that is the fact that we're teaching young people that they should have this exposure about sex way too early with strangers instead of, you know, in the comfort of their homes where these conversations should occur safely. Yep. I remember there was this Psychology Today article, and actually I just looked it up and I can still, um, I can see some of it. So, I mean, this is the psychological definition of what grooming is. Gaining access to and then isolating the minor from the people most influential and who have authority in their life like a like a parent developing trust with the minor and then other adults in the minor's life desensitizing the child to sexual content which we're seeing in a lot of these books gender queer we're told oh no this is just an innocent story you literally see graphic depictions of fellatio with like transgender people and we're told that oh yeah this is fine for a middle schooler so desensitizing the child to sexual content and physical contact um physical contact isn't always there in these kinds of education situations but certainly the sexual content um maintenance behaviors following the commission of abuse and then um, very often they also manipulate them into thinking that if you don't like talking about this stuff if this makes you uncomfortable something is wrong with you like you said keeping a secret from their parents and so I mean they get mad when we call this grooming this is as you said literally the textbook definition of grooming and it doesn't always lead to necessarily physical abuse by the person who is teaching them this. But I do think it actually makes kids more susceptible to sexual confusion and sexual abuse later on. Yes, no, that's absolutely right. And that last point is something that I hit on a lot in Stolen Youth. It's sort of kids are scared about speaking up about their discomfort. I mean, if you look at what's happening to all these young girls who are objecting to being exposed to male genitalia in locker rooms, whether Mm -hmm. they be in spas or locker rooms, they are being told on a national stage that they are bigots for not wanting to see someone's genitalia of an opposite sex. Um, One of the girls that I spoke with in the book, well, actually I spoke to her mother. uh, This was sort of, one of the stories that really exemplifies like this is exactly why we wrote this book. Um, She went to a school program on an overnight trip um, and she stayed in cabins. It was sort of a summer camp situation, but with her school and she stayed there over the weekend. And her mom had heard that there were sort of issues of males being in female bunks and vice versa. And she Mm -hmm. talked to the school and the school told her, well, you know, we're following California state law and, you know, we only house people according to their gender identity. And the mom didn't understand. She did, she's like, right. okay, fine. Okay, that sounds good. Because they, they sort of said it in a reassuring voice. And so she sent her kid off and her daughter came back traumatized and exhausted because she literally didn't sleep. And she said, mommy, there was someone in my bunk, one of the counselors, 
I don't know if it was a man or a woman. They had facial hair. They went by the name Nick. They had a full sleeve of tattoos and rotting teeth. And I was literally too scared to sleep. And the mom was like, honey, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you say something to your teachers or the principal who knew about the whole trip? There were so many other adults there. And she said, I was scared because a couple weeks ago, uh, she was getting into a text message fight with one of her classmates. And the classmate said, as an insult, as you know, middle schoolers do, well, you're a lesbian. And she's, she sort of lobbed back, well, you're gay. And that was, I mean, middle school taunts, yeah. like it's yeah. 101. And the text messages were brought to the principal and the principal said, wow, you really crossed the line here and you are no longer class president. And so she was stripped of being class president publicly because of this text message exchange. And so she learned from that experience, I can never say anything about sex or gender or anything like that ever again. And so she took that lesson to the summer camp experience. And she just sat there terrified for two nights and didn't sleep. And the mom went to the school and said, what on earth were you thinking? You reassured me that this wouldn't happen. I came to you with this specific concern. And you told me that that it was fine in California state law. I don't know what you told me, but you told me I was being crazy. And they said, well, no, ma'am, we told you it was California state law that we would house people according to their gender identity. And that means that the school had to let Nick into her daughter's bunk. And that message that you have to quiet that little internal alarm wasn't just sent Mm. to that little girl. It was also sent to the teachers and the principal, all of these people in positions of power who should have known better and should have spoken up and said, we don't think that Nick with rotting teeth and facial hair should be in charge of a bunk of seventh grade girls. And no one said a word because everyone was afraid. And that's exactly why we wrote Stolen Youth because that is happening across the country, not just in California, but across the country. All right, so we are talking about protecting our kids. Now, God forbid something happened to you and you are no longer able to protect your kids the way that you want to. You need to make sure at least that you are prepared if that time comes. God forbid. Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully we all grow old and we don't have to worry about that. But the fact is, no matter what, we need to make sure that we have a complete will package so that our kids, our families that we care about so much are taken care of. You just do it, then you don't have to think about it again. I know you're young, you're thinking, I don't need that, but you do. And I know it can be complicated, it can take a lot of time and money, but that's why Epic Will exists. In as little as five minutes and $119, you can have a complete will package. You go to epicwill.com. They make it really easy. They provide you the template. You fill in the blanks. You'll be set with a last will and testament, a living will, even a healthcare power of attorney. And by the way, if you are a single mom, if you're a single mom, you've got kids under the age of 18 at home, you can get this will for free. I've already heard from one of you. You're a single mom and you were able to get a will for free from Epic Will. That's amazing. But even if you're not, you go to epicwill.com slash Allie, A-L-L-I-E. You can save that 10% on the $119 it costs. Wow. You'll save so much money by using Epic Will. Go to epicwill.com slash Allie. Make sure that you are prepared. Epicwill.com slash Allie. Silencing that little alarm. I think that's a really great way to put it and actually a very terrifying way to put it because as moms and just as human beings, we do kind of have that instinct of something's not right. I don't feel safe 
this isn't correct. And yet we are told that even if we have that little alarm or we let it sound off at all, then you're a terrible person. And people actually care more about not seeming like a terrible person than they do keeping themselves or their family safe. Sometimes it's because they want to keep their job. Sometimes it's just because they want to keep their reputation. But man, I mean, I just can't even imagine. But the the innocence aspect I think about a lot now that I have, you know, I've got two toddlers and, you know, the toddler stage is a mom of six. They're so observant and they're trying to figure out like what goes in what category, like what is labeled this? What is labeled this? When is this OK? When is this not OK? Where do people go? Part of that is male and female observing mommy, daddy, Grammy, grandpa, like, oh, girls go in the girls bathroom, boys go in the boys bathroom. All of that, I think, is so important to their sense of self, their Uh, making sense of a world that is very new and very big and very chaotic and confusing to them. Like the other day we were in the bathroom and there was a legitimate boy in the bathroom and, you know, he was with his mommy. So it was fine. But for my daughter, it was still very confusing to her. I had to talk to her that, okay, you know, he's little, but she still was trying to make sense of why something seemed out of place to her. And I just... It would break my heart and it would steal her innocence and also, I think, make her feel very unstable if I told her there really is no category. There are no definitions. There's no context in which some things are appropriate and some things are not appropriate. There's really no male and female. You can be whatever you want. I mean, that's got to be torture for little kids who are trying to make sense of a very big and very scary world, right? You are preaching to the choir and I, I give that example almost exactly in the book. What really bothers me also, in addition to all of those super valid things that you just talked about, is this, the sort of brain science behind it. And so, you know, my, we have kids the same age, and this was how we became friends, three years old. And my three-year-old now, she sort of says, mommy is a girl, daddy is a boy, Bubby yeah. is a girl, Sadie is a boy. And she she's like categorizing life in that way. And that's how their brains form. And so when you're taking away that skill, you're also taking away a really important developmental tool. Um, There's so many ways, and one of the chapters is called, you know, children as guinea pigs. There's so many ways in which they're sort of, by by doing all of these things, they're treating our children as guinea pigs, uh, sociologically, psychologically, a lot of, with the gender transition stuff, with puberty blockers, physically, um, that we're not going to see for an entire generation. Uh, mm-hmm. We have another chapter about COVID and about masking, and there was never any sort of thought process behind, like, what will this do to a developing child's right. emotional growth or language growth? And we're not going to see that for many years. And it used to be that when you intervene in a child's life, you you have to, there are benchmarks that you had to hit. Um, you had to know that it, it caused no harm. And they don't know any of those things. And instead of sort of admitting, you know, that they're that there there might be some question marks, they instead just gaslit us throughout the entire pandemic. Mm-hmm. No masking is absolutely not detrimental in any way. That's what the American Academy of Pediatrics said. Yeah. Meanwhile, they used to have something on their website uh, for parents of, of infants called the importance of FaceTime. And yes. they would talk about engaging with children and making sure that you could see their faces. And that's how little infants learn language. It's how they learn emotion. And now, I mean, in the daycares near me, I live outside of Washington, D.C., they're still masking those daycare workers. And that will have serious repercussions on those kids. And we're not going to know about it for, you know, 10, 15 years. Yeah. 
And, you know, we think we have a mental health crisis now, which we do, by the way, among young people. But I think about everything that we've done over the past few years. And like we've been talking about gender ideology, the sexualization of children, social media, all of that. Like those chickens have not even come home to roost yet. Like we still we've got 10 to 20, even 30 years before we really see the long term repercussions. I think of generations who have been marred by this stuff. But you, in the end, you talk about, okay, what we actually do. What do we do? Okay, so we've got the problems, and y'all really go through all of it. Y'all talk about the sexualization of children and all the different institutions that have been captured by this stuff that were supposed to be about childhood. In a sense, you talk about the masking. You talk about the woke medicine, which, by the way, is terrifying. But then you talk about how to fight back. And for you... You homeschool. You're a mom of six. You homeschool your kids. Carol, I believe, she sends her kids to uh, to public school. And so she's kind of fighting from within. So tell yeah. us about, I know you can't maybe speak to exactly to her strategy, but tell us, just knowing that the audience is in two different places, yeah. what that strategy could look like to fight back, either by pulling your kids out or staying in. Yeah, so the, I, this was something really powerful about Carol and I sort of teaming up because we've taken these two different tracks at the end. Like, how do you how do you deal with this problem? So Carol moved her her family from Brooklyn to Florida because she wanted her children to have something resembling a normal childhood in the wake of COVID, and um, it was not an easy decision. And she, ultimately, she has three children, one of whom goes to private, and the other two go to public. And she has a very open dialogue with her kids teachers and schools. She sees their curriculum. She lives in a state where she has a lot more faith in her governor than she did here in New York, which is where I am right now, which I say here in New York. Um, and that path is working for her family. But I think that she's open to the fact that like, you know, life changes and life throws you cur- curveballs. And she was willing to roll with it and pick up her family and move to Florida. Uh, in our family, we homeschool. We have six. We've always homeschooled. I'm very grateful for it because during COVID, I would have effectively been homeschooling anyway. Um, but we kind of, you know, I, I have the go Galt model of, you know, my kids don't really watch a lot of modern media. Their favorite movie is Richie Rich. Uh, their favorite actor is Robin Williams, who died in, I think, 2014. Yeah. <laughs> going through the whole canon of Robin Williams. Because um, I don't have time to pre-screen, you know, all of the current movies and television shows, yeah. nor am I particularly interested in doing so. Yeah. Um, and we do the same with books. The majority of the books that my kids read are older books. Their favorite book series is uh, called Freddy and S- S- Freddy something. Um, and it was written in the 1950s. It was old enough that my parents read it. Yeah. Um, and so that's sort of what we do. And we, we homeschool and obviously like nothing curriculum wise goes through my children without me knowing it very, very well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, there's a lot of different paths that, that folks can take and we sort of break it down very specifically. So like in the example of, you know, how do you know if a book is safe? Um, I give, I give the advice of you should look at the, the one star reviews on Amazon. Someone sent me a DM the other day on Twitter and said, you know, we have common sense media, which is great and people should avail themselves of for books and, and or not books, I'm sorry, for TV shows and movies, but we don't have that equivalent in books. And I said, just look at the one star reviews. And if you look up um, genderqueer, if you look up one of the books that I mentioned in the book is called Breakaways. It was a book that my daughter pulled off the shelves from our local library. And it was a graphic novel about girl soccer players written for, you know, eight, nine year olds, which is what my daughter is. And I thought, yeah, that sounds fine. 
And then another mother in the research for this book alerted me to the fact that there was a lesbian sex scene at a sleepover in the Mm. book. Okay. And for eight to nine year olds. Yeah. Thankfully, I'm irresponsible and I forgot to bring the library bag in from my trunk for like a week and a half. So, I mean, the lesson was I should be irresponsible more often. But I looked at the one star reviews on that book. People talked about it. And I thought, gosh, this is what I need to do in the future. First of all, we don't go to the library and just randomly pick things off the shelves anymore. So sad that you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really frustrating. And so that's sort of some of the advice that we give in the book, how you can on a day to day basis you know, function in this world and raise kids who have a semblance of, you know, innocence and normalcy. But I mean, I'm not saying it's not easy. Like I'm sure another book will come through our doors that I haven't effectively screened. It's, it's, it feels sometimes like you're in a Titanic sinking and you have a, you have a teaspoon and you're just trying to bail out. Um, But for us, we just, my, my perspective is we don't get on the ship. All right. Let me tell you guys about Eden Pure. So I've got a a cleaning uh, a cleaning sponsor that I talk about a lot that I absolutely love. But if you want to make sure that not just your surfaces are clean, but your air is clean as well, you should get an air purifier from Eden Pure. They use Oxy technology to take viruses and bacteria and bad odors out of the air. So not only is your air actually clean, but it also feels really fresh. And the thunderstorm air purifier, it's really popular because it plugs right into the wall, doesn't take up any space, you don't even notice it, and you can travel with it. You don't have to worry about those musty, gross hotel rooms when you plug in the thunderstorm from Eden Pure, you can rest assured that your air is really pure and clean. Go to EdenPureDeals.com, EdenPureDeals.com, use discount code Allie, EdenPureDeals.com, discount code Allie, you get, you can buy um, right now, so they've got a BOGO thing going on. The deal is a BOGO. So when you buy one thunderstorm, you get one for free. One thunderstorm, you get one for free. And then also, if you get two, you get two for free. If you get five for every room in your house, you get five for free. That's an amazing deal. Go to EdenPureDeals.com and use discount code Allie. You know, some some people think about this whole kind of parental rights and anti-woke movement among parents as uh, certainly the left wants to just see it as this white evangelical movement. It's just a bunch of Christian fundamentalists who care about this stuff. But that's not necessarily true for you and Carol, is it? No, no, I'm an Orthodox Jew. She's she's not an Orthodox Jew. And neither of us come at this from a from a religious perspective, very much the opposite. I mean, for me, one of the last chapters that I, I probably blathered too much about it, but I sort of told my own personal story. And I talked about the fact that like my parents died when I was very young. And I was able to sort of power through that because I had some really good therapists who tough loved me. And I think now would that would that therapist have tough loved me in the same way? If you look at the training for for people in the mental health field, that's not the perspective that they come from, and mm-hmm. that's not the not the perspective that they then bring into patient care. Um, and I think a lot about my childhood as well. I'm a tomboy who like learns how to put makeup on. Like I did this by myself because. Mm-hmm. Fox News doesn't do your makeup anymore, which was like a really scary thing. And I like really? during an wow. overnight layover in an airport once I went to like one of those booths and I said, can you teach me how to like put on makeup and I'll buy like everything that you tell me to buy. <laughs> That's <laughs> the so only funny. way you know how to do makeup. And if I had grown up in this time now, yeah. I would 
been told that, you know, my hatred of dresses and makeup and nail mm-hmm. polish, all these things, because I'm a boy. Right. And I felt so deeply uncomfortable in my prepubescent body, which like, who doesn't when they're yeah. going to puberty? I, I can't even imagine the things I would have been told and the things I would have believed coming from people in positions of authority in the media, in my school, in the books that I was reading. And my life would have ended up very different. I'm a mother of six who has nursed all her babies throughout. Like, would I have been put on puberty blockers and rendered been rendered infertile? Would I have been convinced to chop off my breasts, which I hated and are uncomfortable, but are, you know, a source of nourishment right. for my children? Like, there's so many different scenarios. I mean, that's really what inspired me. It's not because I'm like a crazy Christian fundamentalist. It's because I, I am scared for the Bethany Mandels who are growing yeah. up now, who, you know, I feel like it was a luck of the draw that I grew up when I did. And I want other kids, other girls to have the opportunities that I did to grow up normal. Yeah, I think all of us who were born before 2000 feel that way. I think that we are all thankful that we got to go through our tomboy stage and not want to wear dresses. And we got to go play outside in our neighborhood without technology. And so it's harder today. It's harder today for kids, but that means it's harder today for parents. And that's why everyone needs to go out and buy this book, because I think one of the best ways to keep your sanity and one of the best ways to be encouraged is to remember that you're not alone and that you're not crazy. And that's really what this book is about. You're not alone. You're not crazy. The things that you have an internal alarm about, you're actually right. You're actually right. That's God-given instinct. And also, you don't just have to sit there like a sitting duck. There are things to do about it. So this book is sold wherever, right? You can get it on Amazon, all that good stuff. Yep. Barnes & Noble, I'm actually going to go visit my book in person for the first time. I'm super excited. Oh, that's so exciting. Okay, Stolen Youth, everyone, go out, get it. Amazing book, so much insight, but a lot of empowerment too. Bethany, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Thank you so much, Allie. 